you're ready to take your leadership to the next level, you're in the right place. This is the Think on Purpose podcast, and I'm your host, Jen Fry. Let's dive in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, I am joined by licensed professional counselor, Samantha Ruda. And I asked her to come on and talk a little bit about the idea of being a trauma-informed leader. So of course, there's a lot of nuance, a lot of detail to this concept, but this podcast is intended to just get the conversation started. So listen in, and I'd love to hear your feedback. What questions do you have? What's resonating? Again, this is a pretty big topic, so something that we might be doing more episodes on in the future. Enjoy. So I wanted to talk a little bit about trauma from the perspective of if I'm a leader out in the world, I'm working with the public, I have a team, what do I need to know about trauma? So knowing we're not trying to diagnose, we're not trying to treat it, anything like that. But for example, if I'm in a conversation with a team member and I notice them shut down, there's just zero affect, they're shutting down. Now with some of the training that I've had, I might recognize like, oh, this is like a trauma response or this is mm-hmm. like they're in a shutdown response. I don't even have to label it. Mm-hmm. And then as a manager, like what can I do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Now what I would do is probably give them some space, step out, offer to end the conversation. Whereas like 10 years ago as a leader, I would have been like, what's going on? Are you catching this? Like, are you with me? Are you following it? Like, I think I would have pushed it a little bit more and waiting for that interaction and waiting for that response. Are you tracking? Are you with me? Do you agree? Are you on board? Whereas now I I would have a totally different response. And I, I think, I think that's important for us to just start having that ability to recognize what might be happening. Yeah. You make some really good points. I, a part of me is thinking too, some managers might see that shutdown as defiant or oppositional. So, or not caring. That's how I think that's how I would have interpreted it. Like, clearly you don't care. Yeah. So let me circle back, repeat it again, give you this message in another way and like force Mm -hmm. you to be here Mm -hmm. as I reiterate. And now I'm like, oh gosh, I can see how that would be that could be harmful. That could be really difficult for an employee. When I think about trauma-informed care, I think about consent. I think about autonomy, giving that person some control. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should even just back up a little bit. And if you can define trauma for us and kind of start there. Well, so I think one really important point is that trauma is subjective. So one person's trauma might not be another person's trauma. And I've been talking about trauma a lot this week because I was talking to another therapist who said her belief is that everybody has suffered some kind of trauma in some way, right? And we talk about big T and little t. And big T is you've lived in a war zone. You've lived through famine. You've maybe been trigger warning, sexually abused or physically abused or gone through what we would consider very traumatic events where you're close to death. The the threat of death is there. You're terrified. And we're talking about, you know, the kind of trauma that leads to PTSD symptoms and flashbacks. But there's little t and little t can be being yelled at or feeling abandoned from a relationship, abandoned from a, a group of friends. And then there's sort of everything in between. So it's hard to define trauma because it's very 
specific to the person, I think. Obviously, you've got your, like I said, your war zone, and those are very, that's the kind of trauma that you can very obviously state is traumatic, right? But everybody's going to have a different response. But I think that's an important distinction is that we do not know. Like you and I might be in the exact same situation. We might be Mm -hmm. somewhere together and something happens and one of us has one response and the other one has a different response, but it doesn't make either one of us wrong. No, it just means that our nervous systems are handling Mm -hmm. it in a different way. The definition of trauma that I learned from Katie Kurtz, who has like an online class that I took is the idea of something happening where it's too much, too fast, too soon. Like we can't Mm. process the information. Mm. And so then our body goes into this state where we just can't handle it. So I, I think if we start from a place, again, like as a leader, as someone who is managing other people and has responsibility for other people, if we go in recognizing that everyone who we encounter could have a little T or a big T, mm-hmm. and just can we, like, can we carry that awareness with us? We're not trying to find it. We're not trying to dig right. for it. But if we notice like a certain response that we are informed enough to be like, oh, Maybe like maybe I could stop here or maybe they need something different. Trauma informed does not mean you're making a diagnosis or you're treating or you're trying to change, right? It just means an awareness that somebody's response might be different than your own and that it's not incorrect or that it doesn't mean what maybe you might perceive it to mean. So it's just an awareness really being trauma informed is an awareness and kind of an openness to accepting people's responses and not judging them. So the like the behaviors, like what we would observe in someone that I've heard is the idea of like the fight, flight, freeze, mm-hmm. and fawn. Can yeah. you go over just like what, how would you describe those? And like, what, like, what's an example? Like, what might we see? Like, if I think of fight, I think of the person, if I'm giving feedback, there might be an element of like being combative. Like I might disagree. I might get a little agitated. You might see Mm -hmm. irritability. For sure. So as a manager, I'm just going to kind of be keeping that in the back of my brain. Like, oh, this might be bringing up something for this person. So that's good for me to know. And then I can back off a little bit and offer to talk about it at a later time. I can offer to give them feedback in a written way or, you know, just to give them that space. And I think too, the idea of consent before we offer feedback, before we have a hard conversation, it's like, is this a good time? Can we have this conversation? And really allowing the person to say no and letting that be okay. Yeah. That's like what, if I think about fight, what, what about, what would that potentially look like? I'm trying to think about it in the context of professional spaces and flight is a hard one because, you know, when I think about flight, I think about, I got to get, I got to get out of this situation. You might see sort of a panic mode kind of talking really fast. Like, we got to end this. It's sort of shutting it down, but not your system shutting down, but shutting down the conversation because you've got to get out of the room and you might see faster breathing or sort of a physical response where, you know, the person does seem agitated, but it's different than fight because they're not being combative. There's more like this energy of, I've got to get out of here. Like you seem, you know, sort of fearful. So what's happening there? And that might involve, I mean, a lot of this might involve the same response of giving space and saying, do you need a break? Let's come Mm -hmm. back to this. I think flight could also look like pacing 
or mm-hmm. like I'm heading to the door, I'm walking away, I'm trying to make my escape, I'm trying to get out of here. And I was just thinking too, I'm sort of framing it in the context of like a manager talking to an employee, but it could also be the other way around where a team member could bring something to you as the manager and you're like, whoa, too much, too fast, too soon. And a thought might be, I'm not ready for this. I can't handle this right now. It's too much right now. And we just, it's that energy, like you said, of I got to get out of here. Sometimes I experience that when my kids are overwhelming me. I have to walk away. I was thinking about that, right? Like in parenting, like that overstimulation, Mm -hmm. just it's too much. It's too much right now in this moment. I got to get out of here. So yeah, it it might look like someone standing up and sort of saying, yeah, sure. I'll get back to you and running for the door. Again, I think it's recognizing that is that's not defiance. That's not a bad attitude. And just that awareness, if you're trauma informed, just having that awareness, like something else is happening. I don't have to take it personally. It's not about my business doesn't make them a bad employee, but just recognizing that they look like something's triggered for them. I think that's really important because it is really easy for us to make it about ourselves. Oh, always. Yeah. In any situation, not just trauma, right? But any situation, for sure. How about fight, flight, freeze? What what might that look like? Well, I feel like that probably looks like what you were talking about in the beginning where they're shutting down, but you might notice like wide eyes or sort of a look of fear on their face. Like, what, what's happening? Yeah. That overwhelm again. Um, but it's like an immobilization more than that energy of getting out of here. Yeah, they're yeah. just, they're stuck then. And then when I think of like the the fawn, which I think that's, it's a newer term that people are starting to talk about around, yeah. um, like a trauma response is, tell me if I'm, if I have this right. It's almost like a people pleasing, like mm-hmm. I'll agree, I'll say yes, I'll do whatever, mm-hmm. but it's coming from that place of like, I'm just going to say yes so I can get out. I'm just going to agree so that I can, this can be over. Well, and it's almost coming from the same sort of space as freeze. Like, okay, I'm a deer in the headlights. I'm going to agree because how do I keep myself safe in this situation? One of the things I was thinking about is especially in thinking about certain environments like healthcare or fitness centers or folks who work with senior citizens, Mm -hmm. we are often in situations that could be like an emergency right? Like someone gets hurt, someone has a medical issue of some sort. And for those of us who are not clinical people, we're not doctors or nurses or nursing assistants or something like that. And you're part of that kind of an event. We can see one of those four responses because it's just like, whoa. In ourselves. Yeah. Like in, in our teams or in ourselves, because we're not necessarily trained for that or We don't know exactly how we'll respond in an emergency. So Mm -hmm. I think that could be conversations around feedback, emergency situations, anything where maybe it's like something new that we're trying to do with the team, like a a major change, like a restructuring. Mm -hmm. Those are kind of the three examples I'm thinking about where we start looking at that through that trauma-informed lens could help make us better managers, better leaders of people, and just a little bit more tuned in. Yeah. Well, as you're talking about working in spaces where emergency situations could come up, I think the importance of that is training and preparation. Mm-hmm. And any amount of training and preparation can allow people to have a sense of control. Like I know what to do in this situation. That doesn't mean they're not going to have a fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. Yeah. Probably if you have a number of people in a team each is going to have a very different response to what's happening. But you can help that by 
doing trainings by preparing. We just never, I I think we never truly know how we're going to respond until we're in a crisis situation. And I think that comes down to like resourcing your team too, right? So if we can recognize this has the potential to be a difficult thing, whatever it is that we're about to experience or that we have experienced looking like in retrospect, how can I resource myself? How can I resource my team? So like, of course, if you have an EAP program through your employer or Mm. any kind of mental health people that you can bring in, um, in the hospital world, we had chaplains that we could bring in. We also had therapy dogs that would be, you know, they just sort of come in and can help again, like bring people back to more of a neutral. Yeah. Well, so, you know, as you're talking about, or, or as we're talking about training and being proactive, having a response in place too is important for when those situations happen, checking in with people, what do they need? And if you have a response already prepared that you can call, I think you and I talked about this recently. I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but like if a school shut down for a possible threat and everyone goes into, you know, a heightened hypervigilant mode and it's terrifying, do they have a system in place where maybe local therapists are volunteering, maybe therapy dogs are volunteering. So there's like an on-call system that you can have where like, what do people need after this? And speaking in about different responses to things, some people might be okay. Some people might be like, whoa, that was stressful. Wow. Glad that's over with. And they might truly be fine. And other people, depending on what they've been through, depending on their biological makeup, may have a huge trauma response to this. And yeah, it might that's- be cumulative with other trauma that they've experienced. And you just don't know necessarily what response you're going to get from each of those people. So having like some sort of response team in place that you can call upon when these things happen. Um, I think that's a good point. Like, don't make assumptions. We don't want to go so far that we're like, is everyone okay? I know I- that you've been traumatized by yeah. this thing. Yeah. And people are like, it's fine. It's cool. So emergencies happened. I was trained for this. I'm good. It all worked out. Yes. I think that could be a helpful exercise for managers, leaders to just kind of think about what are some potential situations that that you and your team could be dealing with. Another one that comes to my mind is again, like I'm thinking libraries or fitness centers, YMCAs, folks who are dealing with the public Mm-hmm. where it's like an unruly customer or a patron or a member where mm-hmm. we're trained on one hand to serve them. But then mm-hmm. on the other hand, the behavior of that person goes into abusive or berating or yelling. I think that could be an example of some people are fine and it rolls off of them and some people mm-hmm. are not. And that is very upsetting. Mm-hmm. So how can we support people through yeah. that trauma-informed lens? Well, it goes back to recognizing exactly what you just said. Some people might be fine. Some people might be triggered by that. And I'm going to go back to, you know, being trained in those situations when you're dealing with the public customer service or anything like that, having some training in de-escalating someone who is coming across as, as aggressive. Also, what supports do I have in place? Can I call on my manager? If my manager's not there to come in and help, is there another staff member that can come in and help? I think your point about training is really important. Have we practiced some of these scenarios? Have we gone through some of this with our teams 
so that we can start thinking about a plan or at least have some options in the back of our brains so mm-hmm. that even so I'm curious like if I did go into say like a, a freeze or a, a flight response mm-hmm. how would training come into play in that moment like would I be able to click into the training yeah that's a tough one because may, maybe you wouldn't right but so that might be a situation where you have safety protocols in place where people aren't alone to deal with this, you know, who is in the vicinity that can be kind of supportive. And it's hard to find completely because it depends on the situation, right? But that, to me, that's having some sort of safety protocol in place. Like, what do I do if I panic? Who can I call on? And if you're in a place alone, like you're closing something down at the end of the night, like I'm at the front desk and I'm the last one here and the client or, you know, the person's leaving, Like, I think it's about having some kind of like, who do I call on? Is there an alarm button? Because I might not have the capacity to deal with this by myself. So I think we're talking then about safety rather than just how you're responding. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like emergencies and things like that, that I've been involved in. And there are some folks who just like get right to work. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, it's probably a combination of like training and drills and practice. And Mm -hmm. they're sort of makeup and what they can handle. And then there's other people who sort of wait around and wait to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who are like, I'm going to be down the hallway. So I'm out. And many of those people might not know how they responded until it happens. You might be surprised by the responses. And again, that's about not making assumptions, right? You might have a staff member who seems like they're really strong and resilient and and maybe they are very strong and resilient, but when a situation occurs, if it's triggering something for them, they might respond very differently to how you would expect them to. You might be like, well, that person surprised me. They had to disappear. I always thought they'd be on the front line. You just don't know. I don't know if we truly know until we're in that situation. I don't know if I could truly say myself, if I came across a heart attack or a medical emergency or a car crash where I was like the one there I don't know that I would know exactly how I would respond in that situation with or without training in handling it. Well, and I think that's a good point too, is I've been in situations and again, not as dramatic as like a medical emergency, but a conversation with, with a boss Mm. and getting this feeling of, I want to get out of here or shutting down, like having that, that response in my body Mm. and sort of being surprised by it. Like I didn't know where it was coming from. Like, why is this happening? It can feel very confusing. When you're like, I, I don't know why I did that. So that ha- like having those resources and having that debrief, I think is really important. So when you're talking about the debrief, do you feel like that's from resources, like maybe having a therapist or a coach that you can talk to? How do you feel about the debrief with the manager? Yeah, I and think it how depends. would a manager approach that? Yeah, I think it depends on what is like, what's the relationship with the person and like what, what happened, right? Like a medical emergency or something that's that's affecting you know the majority of the team or more people i would for, personally i would bring in an expert like that's what i have done in the past whether it's an eap counselor a chaplain a therapist a someone to come and facilitate that conversation with the team and yeah. help them to process through it as an outside person and to be honest also like if i'm part of it like i have as a leader i still have my own processing to do Right. Like, let's not forget that we are also humans and have our own stuff. That's what I was thinking as you were talking about that bodily response. 
right? I don't doubt that if you're managing or leading and you have to approach an employee about something really difficult or sensitive, you're having your own bodily response. I think maybe the difference is that if you're heading into a situation, you know that it's going to happen. That doesn't mean you're not having your own response. You're not feeling nervous. You're, yeah. you're you know, feeling stick, stick to your stomach or tighten the chest. And so I would say for leaders or managers, digging into some mindful breathing exercises, tuning into your body and maintaining an awareness of what's happening for you and how to dial that down and ground yourself before you have to approach Mm-hmm. the person, but then noticing for you what's happening in your body for yourself when they're having a reaction or a response. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe that goes back to reminding yourself that it's not personal. I think that's such a good point. And that is why I think leaders need to have so much self-awareness mm-hmm. because if we are interacting with you know a person or there's a situation or something that is escalating and then we're escalating and we're totally unaware of our stress response. Now we like, it's like that high energy, like I I kind of think of it as like a lightning storm coming from the other person is meeting our lightning storm and it just gets bigger and bigger Mm -hmm. instead of cultivating that skill of understanding my brain, understanding my, like my nervous system reaction so that I can take a little bit more control and de-escalate a little bit, even a, like if we all de-escalated, if we all managed our own reactions, like 10%, I think that would make a huge difference. Like we're not mm-hmm. looking for perfect or all the time or a hundred percent, but if we can do it just a little bit more, I think, I think that would make a big difference in the workplace. I totally agree with that. And to kind of follow from that, having those skills of curiosity and not judgment, of validating, of asking questions rather than coming from a place of defense. Like again, back to like, this is not, I don't have to create meaning or a statement about myself. If an employee is becoming defensive, I don't then have to become defensive. I don't then have to attack. I can empathize. I can validate. I can ask them questions you know, about how to help them. Yeah. But the only way we can do that is if we're activating in that like higher level thinking and we're, which I think that requires some practice and some skill to, Yeah, I call it like the CEO brain, the prefrontal cortex, the the higher level thinking. And that, that can be that again, like that just takes practice. Well, and then you're talking about, I think maybe a little tangent, but the difference between being an effective leader versus just managing, right. Having that self-awareness to effectively lead, offer empathy, offer validation. That doesn't mean that you can't ask for accountability, but you can do it in a way that's validating and and open rather than like this, this, and this, and sort of talking down. And maybe it's coming at it from a collaborative approach rather than sort of a, I'm up here and you're down here and, you know, authoritarian. But yeah, you're right. That really requires managers to look at where they are and how they feel. And that's not always easy. And I think also pointing out that like the workplace landscape is very different than it was. So a person who started managing in the 80s or 90s, they may have had a very, very different experience to where we are now. We weren't looking at being trauma-informed then. We, it was, there was way more black and white thinking. And instead, we're sort of looking at, it's being aware of everybody's differences and having some humility about that. Like their, their experience isn't the same as mine. 
the way they, the lens they're looking at something through is not the same as mine. It's not good or bad. I don't have to judge it. I can be curious about it. So if somebody wanted, if a manager out there wants some help, of course, we advocate for coaching, advocate for therapy. Sam, any resources that you want to tell listeners about things that you like or a plug for your own business and organization? You know, Psychology Today is a great resource if you're looking for counseling in your area. And you can find professionals who work with leaders, with managers, with corporate wellness. Where can we find you on Instagram? I'm called Samantha Counselor. It's Samantha underscore counselor on Instagram. Thanks so much for joining me today. Of course. Always a pleasure to see you, Jen. Hey, don't forget to like and follow me on Instagram at jen.fry.coaching where we share more tips, more personal stories, and continue our journey to think on purpose. And if you liked today's episode, click those three dots and share it with a friend.